Welcome to N20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. A man named Mercury sits at a computer. Even when he's alone, he sits up straight. The three others on board sleep, or at least they haven't gotten up yet. House lights slowly grow brighter. Though Spaceport One spins fast and orbits Earth fast, all Mercury feels is 1G tugging him toward the boat floor. He's worked on Spaceport for four months, but the port has only been spinning for two days. His back, arms, and inner legs ache, adjusting to the pull. His sandy hair lies flat against his head and his thin lips show neither comfort nor discomfort. Working the keyboard and mouse, he installs drivers for the aeroponics. He'd have finished this task sooner except he's had to do it all on his own, with no online help at any stage. The operating system keeps asking for Observer, which is probably a cloud AI. An error message pops up. No ST-455 detected. Ever since the media attack, communication with Earth has followed wartime protocol, no personal email, no online gaming, no posting, no movie streaming. They can request a file to be sent. This media blackout has slowed the plan to complete five rings to nearly a standstill. In the Daily News file, it said the smell of death in the cities is so bad, lots of people can't take it and move. What will come next? The media attack seems like a stage one to him. Will Russia invade while the US is rolled over having taken a punch to the gut? Before the attack, he streamed music day and night, so when he was cut off from the internet, he requested music to be sent to him. He chose three artists and now he's heard them so much he might never want to listen to them again. Silence is like lack of gravity. Before you experience it, you aren't sure if it's real, but when you experience it, it makes you feel small. Though he's never been one to tap, he does it often, tapping on the table with the side of his finger, slapping his neck audibly, and even slow clapping. This was supposed to be a time of celebration. There should have been 10 others up here. Spaceport was supposed to get its first official visitor, a Nobel Prize winner. The problem is the three US rocket companies have suspended launches. When Tasha wakes irritably. It was nice falling asleep in artificial gravity. The ability to self-cuddle in her bunk was exactly what she needed. Her parents haven't answered her calls. They live in LA so when Tasha is doubly worried. LA, not the place of the most shootings, but the place of the most random shootings. When people say LA is so random, that's what they mean. She can't drive to their house. She can't visit the police to see how their case is going, and she can't hire a private investigator because all the investigators are overbooked. She must also stay on task 24-7 here in the port station. Everyone depends on her to stay focused and present. She sits upright and stares at her slippers stuck to the floor. She slides her feet into the slippers, stands, and sways a little. The artificial gravity isn't exactly like Earth's gravity. 
It can pull her to the side more easily. A ticklishache unfolds in her stomach as she imagines the origami box she's in breaking loose and flying off. She walks through one box after the next passing Audrey who still sleeps in her bunk. The ceiling lights are halfway to full brightness. At a window with rounded corners, she stops and watches Earth. The spine or central axis of the port points right at it and it appears to spin. Okay goggle, latest news. Silence. Oh yeah, no Wi-Fi. At least the new bathroom is set up. She closes herself in a side room, takes off her papery clothes, and feeds them to what looks like an oversized printer. It irradiates and vacuums her clothes. While it's doing that, she sits the vacuum shaver to 0.5 and runs it over her head. Liberated, black curly hair flies down the clear tube. She puts her hand under a nozzle and it dispenses the cleaner which looks like shaving cream and smells like tea tree oil. Starting with her scalp, she vigorously rubs the cleaner all over her body. Then she rubs a mister vacuum hose over her body. Her clothes are ready, folded in a tray. They smell ultra clean as she puts them back on. They don't show wear and tear even though she's worn them the entire four months. Looking in the floor-to-ceiling mirror, she appreciates how great her boobs look in the size small t-shirt. That's good for morale and everyone knows how important morale is in outer space. She fits on her hat. When feminine space jocks started shaving their heads, many started wearing these cloth approximations of hair. Some are braided cloth, some are loose ribbons. When Tasha's is a full piece like a turban that hangs loose in the back and it's blue like her hair was the last time she grew it out. She moves closer to the mirror to put on her extra long lashes. She says to the mirror, I feel like I'm finally back from a long camping trip. The lights are day bright. She continues down the ring until she reaches Mercury. Mooring Mercury, she chimes not meeting his eye. What are you working on? Mercury turns his head toward her without lifting it from his palm. Oh, hi. Trying to install the aeroponics drivers. When Tasha says, can't ground control do that? Mercury says, no one's been at ground control. When Tasha bounces her shoulders. Again? Mercury says, apparently they have more important things to do. When Tasha says, do you want me to wake Dustin? Mercury looks at the time on the screen. Sure. Mercury and Wintasha stand behind Dustin as he types power commands to finalize the aeroponic setup. Wearing rectangular glass, tall and bony, he smiles. Just need to run some tests. A line of code fills in the black window in the upper corner. Other windows pop open. A line in one jumps up and down, drawing a live graph. Bars move across the screen. Boxes get green check marks. The tests are good. Mercury says, you haven't touched the mouse. Dustin smiles. It's starting to happen. The seeds should get the miss now. Wintasha claps. The first space farm. Dustin says, there've been countless times plants were grown in space. When Tasha half smiles, half grimaces. The first long-term farm in space. Dustin types a command and all but one of the windows close. 
Behind the three, a ceiling arm reaches down from its track and cleans the walls and vents. Audrey walks in. Did you guys know we're low on food? All three turn around at once. What? Audrey with thick eyebrows and full lips reaches out, holding a foil pack with a straw sticking out of it. This is the last sausage and eggs. Poised at the communication station, Mercury says, ground control, spaceport. Dustin stands nearby. And we can't even send an email. Mercury says, we need to try contacting them once an hour, day and night. We should work out shifts. Dustin says, good idea. Audrey, sitting, flexes her arm muscle and grips it with her other hand. The sooner we ration food, the better. Wintasha says, has it gotten to that point? Mercury bends his neck like he's trying to work out a kink. The way things are on Earth, I think so. Wintasha says, what sort of rationing are we talking about? Mercury says, I'm willing to switch to one meal a day instead of three and categorize desserts as emergency rations. We need to all agree on the same rationing for everyone. Audrey says, it helps that each meal comes pre-wrapped. Mercury says, yes. When Tasha's alarm on her foldable goes off. In the dark, she groans, rolls over on a cot, slowly pushes herself up, and sits in front of the communication panel. She presses the button on the receiver. Ground control, spaceport one. Ground control, anyone? The whole room is dark except for some panel LEDs and dim guide lights on the floor. After a few more minutes of trying, she returns to the cot, sets a timer for an hour, and shuts her eyes. Twenty minutes later a woman's voice comes over the speaker. Spaceport, ground control. Wintasha lurches off the cot, rolls to her feet, and lunges for the receiver. Ground control, spaceport. Ground control says, I wasn't sure I'd get anyone this early. Are you folks okay? Tears roll down Wintasha's face. I know why we aren't using the internet, but you need to find some way to record when we call. We've been trying to reach you. Over the speaker, the voice strains. You're right. I'll find someone to monitor the channel right away. Wintasha's chest heaves. I know things are bad right now, but are we missing something? The news files you send us don't make it seem so bad that ground control has left us high and dry up here for 24 hours. She tries to keep her voice from sounding accusatory. Shuffling sounds come over the speaker. Our personnel are a whole lot less replaceable than at other occupations. Losing one key engineer can interrupt the whole process. We've lost many. Wintasha frowns. Well, we're short on food up here. Ground control says, oh no. Oh. My name is Diane, who am I speaking with? Wintasha. Wintasha, I will personally make sure that all of SPX will do nothing else except get a rocket of supplies up to your team. Wintasha wipes her eyes with her arm. How long will that take? For PM Eastern, Mercury and Wintasha watch a live feed from Audrey's helmet as she flies the grabber. The grabber, about the size of a forklift, provides propulsion and two large arms on an open cockpit. 
the only thing between Audrey and space is her spacesuit. With her thumb, she punches the forward thrust and heads to the locker which is little more than a giant box tacked on the end of the central axis. Inside, Wintasha works a joystick to keep an exterior camera trained on Audrey. Flashes of light fire off the back of the grabber as it maneuvers around the long row of origami cars, still folded up, that'll be installed to complete the next four rings. Wintasha touches her grumbling stomach. Mercury notices and smiles sympathetically. Audrey says over the headsets, I'm here. On her front-facing helmet feed, two mechanical arms hold handles on either side of a hatch. Audrey unbuckles, slips out of the cockpit, and opens the hatch. Audrey floats into the holding bay. Items large and small are strapped to wire rack shelves. I don't care if it's a box of lab mouse feed. I'll eat it. All four sit in the break room. Audrey says, I can't believe there was no food there. I want to go back. Wintasha places her hand on Audrey's. You've already looked over everything dozens of times. Over speakers, a male's voice says, Spaceport 1, Ground Control. They jump up and walk to the communication panel. Dustin gets there first. Ground Control, this is Spaceport. How are you? We're out of food. I'm deeply sorry. I have some good news. Have you heard of Amino Space Group? The crew look at each other and shake their heads. Dustin says, none of us have. Ground Control says, they're a non-commercial, open-source rocket launch club. They want to send you supplies. They have a rocket ready to launch. We're putting together a payload and there are hopes they can launch in 24 hours, maybe less. It'll be a small supply, but it should get you through. Wintasha curls forward and shakes her open hands excitedly. Dustin sways and smiles broadly. Mercury nods and raises his eyebrows. Audrey pumps her fists. Dustin leans toward the receiver. That's great news. Wearing a spacesuit, Dustin waits in the grabber outside the station. I see it. The refrigerator-sized cylinder approaches him. I'm going out to get it. He pushes the thruster stick. The grabber moves forward as if given a shove. Wintasha says over headsets, you want to go up 10 meters. Dustin says, wow, it's already a lot closer. Don't let it hit me. He continues to follow her directions until he's in position. All at once, it passes below him. Was that it? Guys, it just passed me. He spins the grabber around. Wintasha says stay calm, okay? Dustin works the sticks in each hand frantically. His excitement affects his control of the grabber and he has to correct his trajectory as he pursues. Guys, it's going fast. Do you think I can catch it? Guys? Three seconds go by. Wintasha says. Dustin, you'll need to make a long burn to catch up with it. How much fuel do you have? The delivery cylinder grows smaller. He looks at the info projected on the upper right corner of his face shield. 52%. More waiting. 
Wintasha says, if you do a burn for 4 seconds you'll have enough to return if all goes well. Dustin hits forward thrust. 1, 2, 3, 4. His back presses against the grabber. The cylinder appears to slow and get closer but it also sinks lower and to the left. He taps the yoke stick to course correct. He gains on it but slowly. A sinking feeling turns to panic. He pants and sweats. I'm not sure if I'll catch up to it very soon. What if it takes me an hour to catch up? Wintasha says, hold on, we're calculating. Audrey says, Dustin, don't risk your life. Dustin helplessly watches the cylinder. He isn't completely sure it's getting closer. Wintasha says, Dustin, you were about right. It'll take 58 minutes for you to reach it, and you won't have enough juice to get back. Audrey says, come back, Dustin. He feels relief, but that's chased away by disappointment which in turn is pushed out by dread. He rotates the grabber until the station comes into view. The four lie around the communication room most of the time. Mercury stares at the ceiling. Audrey, say your name. Audrey says, Audrey. Mercury says, Dustin, say your name. Dustin says, Dustin. Wintasha, say your name. Wintasha. When one must get up, they move slowly and often stop to rest along the way. Hours go by and hardly anyone speaks. No one does anything, not even watch a video to stave off boredom. At some point the lights dim. The room stays dark for 8 hours and then the lights grow bright again over a 20-minute period. The woman's voice comes over the speaker. Spaceport 1, Ground Control. With effort, Wintasha turns her head and meets eyes with Audrey. Spaceport 1, Ground Control. Audrey, nearest to the station, slowly gets on all fours and pulls herself into the chair. Spaceport. Oh, it's good to hear your voice. I hope you folks are in good spirits. I have some hopeful news. Dentsu Space, the Japanese rocket company, has offered to fly supplies. The four exchange glances. The woman's voice continues. They're a satellite launch company. They don't have docking capabilities. Do you think someone on your team will be well enough to work the grabber? Audrey says, how long till it gets here? The crew hasn't eaten for days. Luckily, water recycling features are keeping them adequately hydrated. It's 6 a.m. Eastern. Wintasha lies in her bunk. Mercury lies on the floor next to the communication panel. Dustin helps Audrey fit into her suit. He locks her sleeves on. I think you should wait behind the station, don't you? Audrey says, I kind of think I should wait where I can see it coming. Dustin says, okay. Audrey says, I told you I'm transgender, didn't I? Dustin says, yeah, I think you told us at the beginning. Audrey holds both hands out. Dustin pulls one of her gloves onto her hand and locks it. He pulls out a candy bar. Here. Eat this. Audrey's mouth fills with saliva. She gulps. How many of those do you have? 
Dustin unwraps it and gives it to her ungloved hand. I only have one. Seriously, if I had more, I'd share. I just think you need the energy right now. She tilts her head. Well, I am only starving. But so are you. Audrey waits in the grabber. Earth spins like a giant plate on her left. The port appears still. She studies an area of space. I think I see it. A little spot of darkness shape changes. Wintasha says. You have two minutes. Seconds pass. Wintasha says, Audrey if you pitch two and you five, your thrusters will be aligned with its trajectory. Copy. Audrey nudges and pulls on the grabber yoke. A small square shape spins in the distance. It gains detail as it grows larger. Audrey shuts her eyes as a blast of light burns the center of her vision. She opens her eyes to a blind spot where the square was. It fired a nose thruster. It burned out my vision. Wintasha says, confirm, it's slowing. Audrey squints hard then opens her eyes as much as she can. Guys, I'm having trouble seeing. I've got a big blind spot in the center of my eyes. Dustin says, Audrey, stay calm. You'll see it when it's closer. Audrey breaks in, her voice cracking, it's here. It's big. All she sees is the cargo vessel moving past her like a whale swimming past. She hits the back of her helmet on a support bar. It's so close. It's so close to the station. She places her hands on the arm controls. I'm afraid to grab it. It's moving too fast. It could knock me and send me flying. Wintasha says, Audrey. The flat surface of the vessel trembles as it speeds past. Vibrations blur its surface. It begins to slow. Audrey can see an aura of blazing light at the front. She begins to laugh. It's slowing down. Ha! She feels faint. It comes to a stop in front of her. She's afraid to go nearer even though it appears to be perfectly still in relation to the port. Audrey hears exhausted cheers over the headset. Dustin says, Audrey, what do you say? Does that thing have any kind of hatch you can see? Audrey screams. A boom arm lifts off the vessel and moves over her. Are you seeing this? Wintasha says, we see it. The metal arm reaches out and a gripper at the end folds around one of the trusses of the port station. Audrey in her suit and the three inside cheer and laugh. Audrey says, looks like we're going to eat. Thank you for listening. My landing page is solomeshan.com. There you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes a timeline and illustrations.